HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from a British pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn, on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday, this time exactly at freaking 12. How do you like that, Jack? Incredible. Yeah. On the Heritage Radio Network. 12, we could stay probably till what? Till like 12.50 until we get the evil stairs? Yeah, you got a full show today. Yeah. yeah. Well, we need it because we have so many dang questions and we haven't been able to establish a ketchup episode. Although someday we should literally do... An episode about the condiment ketchup. Yeah, somebody was going to sponsor. A ketchup sponsor was going to sponsor. Yeah, but then ketchup. we had all kinds of like turmoil about it was that. Too fast turnover. Too fast a turnover. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Joined as usual with Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. Howdy. Hi. And uh, we got Jack in the engineering booth today. Who was that? I didn't see uh, who the other person in the engineering booth was from the back it's of her It's Maggie, and it's her first day, first hour as an intern here. Wow. We'll have her say hi. Dumping it right in. Hey, Maggie. Hello. Yeah? Where, 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 are you, uh, where do you hail from, Maggie? Brooklyn. <laughs> ah, Brooklyn. Are you hipster Brooklyn or old school Brooklyn? Like suburban mom Brooklyn or ex-suburban mom Brooklyn. Wait, so you like you are an ex-suburban mom? No, my mom is. Oh, oh so you moved here from the suburbs. Yeah. Yeah, which ones? New Jersey. Ah, the great state of New Jersey. The Garden State. Like a uh, nice Jersey or a uh, Turnpike Jersey? Uh, nice Jersey. Hmm, all right. No offense to Turnpike yeah. Jersey. Call your questions in to uh, 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. I have, we have a plethora of questions to answer. Going to London, by the way, on uh, on uh, Monday, we have an event at Imbibe Live 2015 uh, on Monday at the Hotel Dandelion, which is not spelled like we spell it. Is that how the Brits spell Dandelion, you think, Stas? Maybe. It's like Dandelion, right? Dandelion. Like so- a lion. Wait, it's like a lion. We spell it like a lion. Oh, they no, spell it like a lion. They spell it like Lyon. Yeah. Oh. Like Dandy Lyon. Or something like this. Maybe that's maybe it's French. I thought it was. It sounded like you were saying dandy loin. Dandy loin. Like a dandy loin. No. Oh, a dandy loin. That would be kind of a gross thing for us to talk about here. On the, <laughs> it would fit quite well with the uh, with the Vegetti monologues though that we oh, went through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not to reopen old wounds. Okay. Uh, so uh, let's what? <laughs> what? Nothing. What? <laughs> nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> By the way, uh, but before we start, even though I don't have time to talk about anything other than uh, straight cooking issues, Nastasia and I are devotees of uh, the illegal firework, and Nastasia just found out that she will have access. I didn't buy. I I made the trek to the great state of New Hampshire, where one can live free and die, and purchase almost any kind of firework, with the exception, Jack, no bottle rockets in New Hampshire. Really? No, no. You can buy. You can buy uh, uh, 500 grams worth of uh, black powder packed into tubes in a box that shoot 200 feet into the air and explode in in balls of fire. But a bottle rocket, that's dangerous, bro. Wow. Yeah. Like, it makes no sense, right? 
does not. Makes no, makes no sense. Like, the rules are so crazy. They also don't allow... This does make sense. They don't allow M.A.s and cherry bombs. They don't want little kids, like, blowing their fingers off, I guess. Bottle rockets, why? Because kids shoot them at each other? I mean, that's what we used to do. Probably. I don't know. So, Stas, uh, I found out, though, that, um, that Pennsylvania... The rules in Pennsylvania are so, – by the way, for those of you that don't live near the New York area, like New York, Massachusetts, New Jersey, and I think Delaware are like the firm block of uh, stick in the muds regarding uh, fireworks and their enjoyment. Like just not available here. Connecticut recently changed their laws, allowed fireworks again, and then disallowed some again. So now in Connecticut, you can only buy like – you can't buy Roman candles. You can only buy fountains, those things on the ground that shoot up sparks. And you're like, man, I wish this would blow up in the air. Right, Stas? Isn't that what you're thinking when you see it? Yeah. Man, I wish this would blow up inside of the air. Wait, what about Rhode Island? No, Rhode Island is part of the, it's part of the like, block of evil. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, imagine. if Rhode, I- Rhode Island, here's a suggestion to you, Rhode Island, our smallest state. Why don't you allow – first of all, you have like lots of great places to light fireworks in Rhode Island. Yeah. Why don't you – Make them legal in Rhode Island, and then literally the entire New York, Connecticut metro area, instead of having to drive all the way to to New Hampshire, could go to the great state of Rhode Island to buy their fireworks. Anyway, Pennsylvania, Jack, you might find this enjoyable. The the place closest place is uh, right near Port Jervis, New York. It's only an hour fifty outside of uh, of New York or something like this. No, Rhode Island is the same as Connecticut. Oh, you can buy the ground sparklers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Wah, wah. But anyway, but my point is. Uh, in Pennsylvania, it is illegal – if you are a Pennsylvania resident, it is illegal for you to buy the big, bad aerial fireworks that we all want, right? However, if you show up in Pennsylvania and provide an out-of-state license, they will sell you anything. Anything. I mean, even if it's like a New York license? Yeah. That's what's messed up. That's they don't so ca- weird. They don't care if it's legal in your state or not. I mean, how do they know where you're going to light it? But for some reason, if you show up with a Pennsylvania license, even though you swear on a, on a stack of Bibles that you're going to light these things off in a state where it's legal, right? If you are a Pennsylvania resident, you are, as we like to say, S-O-L. You can apply for a permit as a Pennsylvania resident to purchase them. It's, it's, laws are so, so weird. You know what I mean? I mean, I realize that fireworks are dangerous. Lots of things are dangerous. Fireworks are also – what's the word I'm looking for? Awesome. Awesome, yeah. That's yeah. It. Awesome. I think that's the word. Do you know that I looked it up? The National Fire, uh, the NFPA, National Fire Protection Agency, Prevention Agency. Anyway, the people who make the fire codes, they have a a, a whole campaign. Uh, you know, ban com- ban consumer fireworks, right? Because people are injured and some people are killed every. You know what the majority of uh, the the one single thing that causes more injuries with fireworks than any other, Jack? Any guesses? Um, like I don't know, drinking. No. Well, yeah. No, uh, sparklers. Oh, oh, I see. Sparklers. Really? Yeah. How do you injure yourself on a sparkler? Well, like the classic case is some parent gave their three-year-old a sparkler oh, and then turned away. I turned see. away. She walked into their, into their house, dropped it in a trash bucket, burned down the house, oh, and I killed see. somebody. Yeah. There was a funny moment once where my girlfriend, we were at her country house, and she wanted to light some incense in the kitchen, or, or in the living room, rather, and she uh, lit a, a sparkler instead. Wow, that, oh. that's different. They yeah. look kind of similar, I they guess. They do. They look exactly the same. Yeah. So, so like, then do you have all sorts of evil ideas of pranking temples? Yes. <laughs> go, to, go to, like, a, a you know... A temple and put a bunch of uh, oh boy. people are like what? Oh what? Boy. It's supposed to be peaceful, calm. Spark- well, sparklers are nice. It's crazy that most fireworks are allowed in southern and midwest states. You would think those no, 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 no. Aren't responsible. It's, it's it's every state but like like the New, New England yeah, stick yeah, in yeah, the yeah. mud states, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know New York and California, Mid Atlantic. California allows some, I thought. No, they're the same as Connecticut and Rhode Island. First of all, like California, like irresponsible in a lot of places to light fireworks because of the immense like uh, fire hazards because of the tremendous drought going on. I mean, a lot of it has to do with the fact that wherever there's a lot of people in close proximity, the assumption is no one has any common sense, and you can hurt a lot more people when you're, you know. I mean, I'm not saying fireworks should be legal in New York City. Nevada too is fine, which is even more dry. But I guess it's flat. And like desert. Mm-hmm. Not that you don't have trees. Whatever. I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> Like you know, where my where you know where I used to go, where my uh, wife's family was living in in Arizona. I mean, what are you going to burn down? You know what I mean? Yeah. 
burn, you know, burn some teddy bear Troya down. Thank God. Those things are the devil. You know what I mean? Anyway, Tom wrote in, no offense if you like teddy bear Troya. Jeez. Uh, like, you know, someone's going to be like, I like teddy bear Troya. Well, then go kick one and have it go through your freaking foot and like try to have fun, get all those spines out. Nobody likes teddy bear Troya. I don't know. You know what Troyas are? They're little cactus, the really fuzzy ones that the teddy bears are the ones that are so insidious that the claim, not true, is that they kind of jump out and get at you because like you brush up near it, they'll go through like leather shoes. Hmm. These, those spines will somehow work their way through. It's, you know how Troya is spelled, right? It's spelled Chala. Okay. Yeah, anyway. Uh, Tom wrote in about apparently I missed the peace question. So uh, unfortunately, you missed answering my question on centrifuging uh, peace. He also had the 100 hour oxtail question where the uh, bag was inflating. I haven't figured out. So the, the thing was, he was cooking the, the oxtails at a fairly high temperature, high enough to kill bacteria for like 100 hours, and the bags blew up kind of like one day into the process. So, but I, well, I don't recall. You should write back. I don't know whether the – it's weird when bags – when sous vide bags blow up with way down line in the process. So it could be a couple of things going on. Like one, if, like if there's bones in the, in the thing or uncooked veg, like air could be coming out of that over time and inflating. But usually that's going to happen relatively early in the process, like a couple of hours in, not like you know 20 or 30 hours in. It's also, I guess, possible that like some thermophilic – thermophilic bacteria are surviving and blowing up. But I don't know. I'm going to have to do more research on uh, thermophilic uh, – uh, bacteria. For teddy bear Joya, I got an actual teddy bear sitting at a Shabbat with a challah bread. You wrote teddy bear challah? No. You wrote teddy bear challah? No. Ch- S-C-O-L-L-A. I mean, sorry. C-H-O-L-L-A. Not... Although, Teddy Bear Hala is my new... Th- Imagine if you wanted a Teddy Bear Hala and someone sent you a Teddy Bear Choya and you opened up the package and got all those spines embedded in your like face somehow, like it came off into your face. That would be a, a complete nightmare. Uh, second question I had on Centrifuge is... Um, Via my university, I had the fortune of using a centrifuge to make some pea butter. I used fresh peas and didn't get them to blend too thoroughly. I assumed two hours at 16,000 and a half Gs should be able to puree the peas, but unfortunately, it didn't change their integrity. Um, blending should have been done better, but is there something else I should have taken into account? The recipe calls for frozen peas, which might have destroyed the cell structure and allowed better blending, perhaps. Uh, what is worse is that one of the containers broke mid, uh, midway through centrifuging, destroying the goodwill on their side, forever using the centrifuge again, and I'll have to look for another place. Would this be caused because I used something solid? Uh, e.g. peas instead of the usual liquid or is this just wear and tear and unfortunate to happen uh, with me? Yeah, you just got some bad luck. The other thing that can happen is um, if uh, if you use the wrong bottles, um, if you use a flat bottom bottle that's not meant to go into the centrifuge or you use a sharp conical bottle and you put it into a round bottomed uh, rotor, uh, it, it, you know, anytime you have to deform the bottom of it, like you want the bottle shape to match the uh, shape of the bottom of the rotor so if you don't do that then yeah it could be your fault for using the wrong uh you know flask or vial but presumably they gave it to you right so or maybe you bought it i I don't know the other thing is you could use one with the wrong composition but again the fact that it's a solid shouldn't uh matter um because you know the bottle's supposed to get smashed against the bottom of the rotor and stay that way for the rest of the thing but they do have wear and tear and they do eventually break so i don't know but you know that i don't know regarding uh uh, uh, the other problem you had of it not working, 16,000 Gs, 17,000 Gs is not nearly, not nearly, not even close to being enough Gs to actually rupture the cell structure of, uh, you know, or to break apart uh, the, you know, the plant structure of a uh, of peas. Not enough at all. You need to blend it a lot better. I would use frozen peas, as they said, or freeze your fresh peas, which is going to shatter some of the st- cell structure due to um, the action of the ice crystals. And in fact, uh, you know, you might, uh, I've done even for some things, repeat freeze thaw cycles. Um, because each time you freeze and thaw it, you destroy the structure a little more. Make sure you blend the hell out. Remember, like 20,000 Gs, I mean, well, 4,000, 5,000 Gs isn't even enough to pop air bubbles. You know what I mean? Uh, on the surface of some centrifuging stuff. 20,000 Gs is, is not even enough to clarify lime juice on its own. So it's not even enough to, to pull cloudiness out of lime juice, right? You need like 27, eh, 20, 27,000 Gs to do that. And that doesn't even pull everything else down. So 16,000 Gs... Seems like a lot, but in fact is not enough to uh, completely obliterate the structure. And remember, if you're actually talking about 
really obliterating cellular structure, they go to many, many, many higher uh, higher Gs than that. I would have guessed that like fifty thousand Gs would be enough to do what you want, but you know, um, I don't know because uh, it's a guess. But again, I, I wouldn't say. I would just say that you know your solution would be better blending. Uh, Alex wrote in uh, from Toronto regarding carrots. I have it, dear Dave, Nastasia, and Jack. I have a question about carrots. Very see, I like that. Someone says right about what it's about carrots. In a recent Cooks Illustrated, I haven't read this one. You know, I, I was a subscriber for like decades. I don't I, somehow like it was always given to me as a gift. I don't get it anymore. Hmm. You ever happen like someone's like, I'm just not going to give this to him as a gift anymore, and then it just yeah, disappears. Did that happen to you on magazines? New Yorker. Mm-hmm. Do you buy it now? No, I make somebody else get it for me. Why don't you? Oh, but you could join NPR and get it, but you don't want to join NPR. You just want someone to get it for you for a gift. Mm-hmm. Well, anyone out there who likes Nastasia, just get her a gift. No, my sister's already taking care of it. Oh, this she year, did. Yeah. So you're you're covered in the future. <laughs> yes. It's so weird. Like like so many things like that other people like you hate. How is it that you like the New Yorker? I don't know. Is it because you liked it before you knew other people liked it? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Very unusual for you to like something that's well liked. SNL. Yeah, I guess that's true. Especially both of those things are kind of New York. Well, SNL is not New York centered. I mean, it happens to be here, but it's not like a New York thing. Mm-hmm. But the new you hate almost anything associated with New York that's popular mm-hmm. because you have to look at the people around you every day that like it. Yeah, but I can do, I can read the New Yorker and watch SNL by myself. What happens when you're on the subway and you see someone reading the New Yorker? You're like, oh, don't ruin it for me. Yes. Is that what happened? Yes. Yeah. Mm, oh my god. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, in a recent Cook's Illustrated, I think it was three or four issues ago, they published a recipe for braised carrots that involved – you like the word braising? Mm-hmm. Neutral? Mm-hmm. Neutral on braising? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, braised carrots that involved par-cooking them at a low temperature, then finishing them in a hot pan. They say that holding the carrots between 120 and 160 will induce enzymatic activity that will firm up the structure of the carrot. They call it persistent firmness, and they exploit it in this recipe so that even when the carrots are subsequently overcooked in the pan, they still come out with some texture. I have tried this using my circulator, and as far as I can tell, it does make a difference, making for a more meaty texture in the final product. Is this a known thing? If so, will it work with other vegetables, presumably at other temperatures? Are you aware of any easily accessible resources that could tell me more? Yes, it does work uh, on other things. Uh, oh, also I'd like to say I was able to crush the saltine challenge with ten saltines, not six. No, you uh, – No, this is Alex was, from Toronto. Oh, wow. I'm just being like – you know, I figured like <laughs> he's got to feel pretty good about ten? that. So I was giving in him how, some – In a minute? He was able to eat 10 saltines in one minute. That's how I figured you have to, you have to, to use an announcer voice we'll for that. Whoa, it's a call out, Alex. It's a call out. Film yourself pounding the 10. And the question is, I don't understand like what version of uh, the saltine challenge gets you to 10. Unless you did two, two, two. But five twos is a lot harder than, my guess, four, four, and three. I mean, four, four, and two. Four, four, and two, Right. Four yeah. cracker, four. Because the only way to really challenge so it is to do multiple crackers at once. So much. Has Jack, three, three, J- Jack, have you done the saltine challenge? No, but I'm going to. Of course you are. Yeah. But you got to film it. I will. It's not real. You don't. I think I can crush 10. No, ten. you can't. The most I've really? seen, I think the most I've seen is either 10 or 12 is the most I've seen. Well, I guess 60 seconds is a short amount of time. The guy I've seen, the, guy, the most I've ever seen is 12 and he did four, four, four. That sounds like what my strategy would be. Jack, uh, no, you, it, you Jack. must show an open mouth before the end of the... Yeah. Yeah. Open Six mouth. Seconds. Yeah. I'll have it by next week. The rules are there can be like particulate matter jammed into your molars, but there can't be like a bunch of stuff rolling around on the inside of your mouth and definitely... What if you shoved up like a, you know... You can't shove a whole cracker in the side of your face. No, but like if it's like... Plus you're going to look like a chipmunk. I'll see it. True. No chipmunking. Mm-hmm. No although, chipmunking. Yeah, although I enjoy that. I enjoy this like this like cheating strategy. Uh, you know, Yale had a, a drinking game, and uh, I used to kind of use the the. I used you can't chipmunk on that either. Although people tried. Anyways, um, <laughs> wait. No, I have, I have a caller by the uh, way. Okay, was it? Well, let me finish. Uh, yes, yes, call it. But, but hold on a second. Rather than trying to generate more saliva, I just forced down the dry crumbs. It hurt, but it worked, and I won the bet. Yours, Alex from Toronto. See. Swallow through the pain is another interesting strategy that might work well for me. Uh, all right, so I'm going to take this caller and then I'm going to get back Wait, to the enzymatic activity. Stas, have you done this challenge? Yeah, yeah I yeah. can do it many times. Whoa, what did you what did you get? I got them all in, but not swallowed. Ooh, how many? I'm how not many? Gonna, not going to get into that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she wasn't able to make the six. Anyway, caller, you're on the air. Hey, this is uh, Bradley from San Francisco, and uh, I wanted to call back. Uh, you'd given me some advice on um, uh, meat curing chamber and uh, coffee uh, Zapaka uh, a couple months ago. Oh, yeah, Zapaka, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, 
both both turned out really well and uh, the advice was super helpful um uh the one thing that um so when we when we were making the the coffee drinks instead of using cream um i had some non-dairy friends um and we had some almond milk horchata that was like khalifa farms almond milk horchata and so we substituted that and people actually preferred the almond milk horchata version of the cafe toba instead um but it was it was a huge success so i wanted to thank you do you think that's a re you think that's a a regional thing or do you think that they did they actually prefer the taste or you think that's a san francisco thing no no i i preferred the taste like it it um it added kind of like a a nice like cinnamony note to the the coffee thing um which was which which was really nice um and uh, it's. It, I don't think it was a regional thing um, because it was like the overwhelming choice. But what if you had added cinnamon um, to the yeah, cream? Do you think that would have changed it? That live in San Francisco, that our younger people aren't actually from San Francisco, so right. You know, it's a, <laughs> but uh, do you think it was just but, the spiciness uh, I, of it though? Like, do you think yeah. adding cinnamon to the recipe in general would uh, make it better, or no? Um, maybe. Um, I. I mean, because I, I think that um, we didn't. I, I, I didn't try it, but, um, you know, it, uh, I think if you have, like, a latte and you add, you know, cinnamon on the top, it's, like, a nice flavor to it. So, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, but I, I think that that was, like, the, the, the kind of flavor that came through with the, the horchata hmm. that um, really worked well. Not try so, sometime. Um, and so um, I'm planning a, um, a an all awful dinner party, and I, I had a question because in the past you talked about feeding clams, um, you know, to, to kind of change their flavor. And I, I'd read that you can feed mealworms in all, in order to kind of like enhance their flavor before doing it. And I wanted to do like a mealworm toffee for for dessert. I was wondering if you'd had any experience with that. Hmm. Well, I've never prepared mealworms. Let me ask you. Oh, by the way, uh, you know the old legend that mealworms can uh, eat their way out from the insides of uh, lizards uh, and stuff that you feed them to. You know that that you know that old legend, right? Uh, I, I I mean, I've worked in a pet. Sh- I, my only like. You know, I've worked in a pet shop, and that's never happened to any of the lizards that I've fed mealworms to. Yeah, right. I know, but you're familiar with the urban lead. It's been proven false, by the way. Like uh, in the oh, okay. in the book uh, by Mary Roach uh, Gulp, she like goes with some scientists, I think, and they disprove it. So it, it doesn't happen. Although I personally thought it happened to me when I was a kid. It's just that my lizard happened to die. I happened to be feeding him mealworms, and something happened to eat its eye. But they're like you know not related as it happens. Right. But right. Uh, but to go back to just straight mealworms. So in other words, no one should worry that in eating an, a mealworm that it's going to somehow burrow out through their body because uh, it just it, it doesn't actually happen. This is not a thing that actually happens. All right. Yeah. I mean, well, the the, the idea that I had was I was going to cook them, um, add them to a toffee, and then kind of break it up and then put it at the bottom of the pan. Panicata, so it gives it like a little bit of crunch right. um, when it when it gets unmolded. Um, and I wanted, like, I had heard that you could do it with, like, you, like, cinnamon was like something that like you could feed them, and then then you purge them for a couple days, and then cook them. Well, see, that's I the was, thing. If you're gonna purge them, if you're gonna purge them, then like, I don't know whether or not like they're actually gonna get the. I mean, unless you're just talking, mean, maybe they get it on the outside of them. I don't know, but are they washed? In other words, is the idea that you can feed them, purge them, then wash them, and they still have the flavor? I mean, it's possible. No, I think at that point, you fry them. But I mean, then, in other words, but they're never they're they're fried basically live without going through a rinse. So the question in my mind is 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 there cinnamon on the outside of these guys, or do they actually flavor themselves from the inside out? Remember, like my whole fascination with this stretches back to uh, the Henry Winkler movie uh, Night Shift, right? Where uh, you know one of the characters, well, who is in that movie? Look that up, Stas. One of the characters in that movie used to always carry a tape recorder with them and be like, "Note to self." One of which was, "Note to self: Feed the mayonnaise to the tuna before you kill it." Right before, it, so they, they, it makes itself into tuna salad. So I've had this idea in my head since I was like a little kid. Um, but with mealworms, I mean, you'd have to like try it because in any event, it makes a great story, right? Uh, right. But um, the other thing is, if you're feeding it only food grade stuff, is there a need to purge it? Um, 
I mean, I, I, I don't know. Like, what, what I'd seen on the Internet was mostly, you know, if, if it was like a solid thing that had, you know, that didn't have too much water, if you fed it to them for a couple of days before, it would, they would, you know, their body would taste slightly like that. Yeah. Similar to your clams. So, yeah, the, the other um, one that's obviously famous is the idea of feeding snails uh, specifically things like rosemary for use in uh, paella. I've tried it on three separate occasions, all miserable failures. It left my, my bathroom stinking like dead snail and rotting rosemary. Uh, so I've never had any luck with snails. I would give it a shot and see what happens. I would try some. I would try. I would just for your own for giggles. I would. I would uh, try some purged. I would try some unpurged, right? And I would also uh, take some and rinse them off in water and pat them dry before you fry them to see whether or not it's really just cinnamon that you fed them that sticks to the outside of their bodies that's that's doing it. You know what I mean? But in any event, like if the cinnamon flavor comes through, it, it would be a, a. It's a good. It's a good story. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, hopefully mealworms in general are just like a good like talk about dessert kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah. Although you know, it's interesting. Nastasia didn't give you the scrunch up face on uh, on the mealworms, but she did give you the scrunch up face on the word "offal," which isn't to say that she doesn't like the meats. She just hates that word. Awful. Yeah. Right, Stas? Well, you, you know that, you know, I know Natasha hates hipsters, but what is the group of people that hates things because other people like them? Hipsters. Whoa. True story. Wow. That's like, that's thank, like. Thanks so much. That's like the nuclear <laughs> mic drop. drops the mic and he's gone. Yeah, yeah. boom. All right. Well, good luck with it. Let us know how it works out. Did you want to know about Night Shift? Uh, yes, tell me about Night Shift. And then we'll, you want to take a commercial break after Night Shift? Yeah. All right. We'll, t- we'll, we'll talk about night shift, and then we'll go to Henry commercial break. Winkler, Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton. I love Michael. It looks Keaton. like a romantic comedy, is it? I don't know. I don't know. I will purchase it with my corporate card. <laughs> All right, and we'll come right back with cooking issues. Hello, out there. It's Steve Jenkins. I'm with Fairway Markets. White Leghorn. Red Wattle, Bourbon Red, Navajo Churro. Well, these aren't names you're likely to hear at a fairway butcher counter or any other counter today, but before the rise of factory farming, you would have. And at Heritage Foods USA, you still do. Heritage Foods USA exists to promote genetic diversity, small family farms, and a fully traceable food supply. You see, we believe the best way to help a family farmer is to buy from them. Heritage Foods is honored to represent a network of family farmers and artisanal producers whose work presents an immeasurable gift to our food system and to biodiversity. The meat we celebrate, whether it's heritage turkey, Japanese steaks, Berkshire pork, or Navajo churro lamb chops is the righteous kind from healthy animals of sound genetics that have been treated humanely and allowed to pursue their natural instincts. It's a simple fact. Animals raised according to this philosophy taste better. And as we like to say, you have to eat them to save them. Visit us at HeritageFoodsUSA.com for more information. And welcome back. Hey, you know what, Jack? The one line in that that kind of creeps us out a little bit, Stas and I were talking during the break, sound genetics. Why? It's creepy. Dave said it sounds Nazi. Sounds sounds eugenic, like it sounds mm. crazy. I mean, yeah. I, I know in the, in the sense of, of animal breeding, it doesn't play that way. But like, whenever I hear sound genetics, I'm like, you know, I think about like the genetics of sound. Ooh, you know, that's that's a very Jackie Molecule statement. <laughs> the genetics of sound. Hey, uh, by the way, speaking yeah. of Jackie Molecules, I have to interject with this. So we, uh, as a Kickstarter re- reward, I was uh, tasked to make. Three ringtones that we were going to send out to the people who donated to the Kickstarter, and we got a whole bunch of people right in saying they wanted a Jackie Molecules ringtone. Do we have so one? So we do. Hold on, I'm gonna I'm gonna find it. That's not it. Let's see. I'm just gonna put it up to the mic, and maybe that'll work. Let's see. Oh, actually, I can plug it right in. There we go. So here we go. Wait, 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 wait. Ringtone. Jackie Molecules. Oh. Jackie Molecules. <laughs> Wait. 
a real thing. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to put that on I'm going to put that on my phone. Yeah, I'll send it to you. Yeah, send it to me and definitely How when you How much is it if people want to purchase it? Oh, it's it's free if you donate it to Kickstarter. Wait, yeah, wait, one more thing. <laughs> and that, that that's you at the end. Oh my gosh. So oh my gosh. All right. So for those of you that remember before the commercial break, we were talking about Alex's question on carrots and persistent firming. Yes, the answer is yes. It's a known uh, fact. The enzyme that we're talking about is a pectin, a methyl esterase. And so the reason you have to raise uh, the temperature is you have – and there's numerous studies on different uh, veg on what temperatures to, to use. And you got to remember – I think it was a pectin methyl esterase trick that Jeffrey Steingarten was using to do the firming of uh, potatoes in his very famous and very, very influential uh, article on uh, mashed taters uh, in his uh, first book, uh, The Man Who Ate Everything, um, which I encourage. If you, if you don't own that book, like you kind of need to go out and buy it. Like it's Right now, just go on Amazon and, and Amazon Prime that book and read it. And if you've never read it before, if it doesn't change kind of the way you look at food writing and food, then you – I don't know. I mean the fact of the matter is is that I can't erase like that whole – the whole dialogue of how he works from my head. Important book, uh, super important book and I think has uh, really changed the way like a lot of food writers have approached uh, what they do. Anyways, um, so yeah. So I think that the potato trick is a pectin methyl esterase trick. Uh, we've tried it with, uh, with other things as well. There's also other enzymes that you can activate. The trick is the reason you need the elevated temperature is you need a temperature that's going to not denature the enzyme, but disrupt the cell structure enough that the enzyme is liberated and can do its business. And so that's typically uh, what's happening. And uh, there have been studies on various different veggies at various different temperatures uh, to kind of figure out uh, where where to hit them and how to treat them for how long. Uh, also, you can enhance this effect if you dope calcium into the water. I don't know if uh, Cooks Illustrated did that, but adding calcium to the water while you're working can also uh, increase uh, the amount of uh, firming you get out of it. But I don't know if they did that. Anyways. Um, so there you have it, right? Seth wrote in, uh, good afternoon. My name is Seth Warshaw. I own a restaurant. Do in- you want to get this caller quickly before that? Sure. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, I uh, got a question about ice cream. I am um, kind of accused of being a freak about ice cream and, well, just a freak in general anyway. Nice. Um, uh, so, and I love the taste of ice cream without egg, but it's tough to get the texture right. Yep. So the, the question is kind of twofold. One, is there any way to dope it up with any kind of hydrocolloid or anything crazy like that? Or two, is it, am I better off spending some money on a, you know, a liquid nitrogen doer or trying to get a, a really nice um, ice cream machine that can get the batch times down under 10 minutes or even 15? What's your, what, okay, a bunch of questions. Where did you grow up? Pardon me. What what part of the, what part? Of, you sound American. What part of the country did you grow up in? Oh, um, uh, bright and sunny Southern California. Okay, because like Philly people and people on the East Coast like are very familiar with eggless ice cream, right? The whole style of eggless ice cream in the U.S. is known as Philly style ice cream, right? So there's a long, right. rich history. But for those who grew up around here, you know that. Um, you know, the, the kind of classic Philly-style ice cream used to be Breyers, right, in that it didn't contain uh, eggs. It also used to contain no stabilizers, and that's why also all of us know that if you get Breyers when it's incredibly fresh, it's it was good, but it never as smooth and creamy as like, you know, uh, an egg style, uh, you know, like uh, French vanilla style, but good, but that it goes icy really quickly, right? Because it's not stabilized and it doesn't have uh, the eggs in it. Breyers has since relented and added a bunch of stabilizers to their ice cream, I guess, because they realized that, you know, less and fewer and fewer people uh, kind of, you know, were devotees of that style or kind of understood like what that style was supposed to be. Uh, So that's it. What style of ice cream machine do you use? Uh, well, right now I just have the cheapy hundred dollar freeze the the canister and and churn it. So salt. And, so it's, oh, freeze the canister. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and and the batch times are between twenty and thirty minutes in the low twenties. And I'm looking at ice cream machines that are the the self refrigerating kind. Yep. But the batch times still seem to be up near twenty minutes. Yep. Until you get into something that's you know in the thousands of dollar range. Right. Correct. 
Okay, I'm going to go a little bit against the grain, and I don't, how much of this stuff do you want to make? Is this like a family outing thing, or do you want to do this commercial? You want to do this for family, right? Well, just, well, for me. Yeah. So I recommend, uh, I recommend uh, good old fashioned salt and ice. I would buy the motorized one. You don't need to buy the expensive White Mountain one. And in fact, the best ice cream that I have ever personally made outside of using liquid nitrogen or a Carpajani has been with. A two-dollar thrift store rival brand uh, ice cream, which, by the way, they're owned by the same people as own White Mountain, but rival brand uh, ice cream maker with a motor on it that used uh, salt uh, and ice. And um, I mean, I guess it depends on uh, which model you get. Like the the trick with the with those style of ice cream machines is uh, you can decrease the batch time uh, by just adding more adding more uh, salt. Right, and at a certain point, the makers tell you not to do it because they worry that you're not going to be able to scrape the sides off enough. But I found that at least on my rival, I could jam it pretty hard and get like you know 12 minute batch times on it and get incredibly textured ice creams using just milk, cream, sugar, vanilla, and salt without doing anything else. Now it doesn't store as well, right? Um, and yeah. I would also jack the cream levels to the point where it almost buttered out on me uh, because that's going to also provide some textural advantages. The problem there is it's really good when it's soft, but when it hardens, it gets a little bit of a buttery, uh, a buttery texture, which some people find off-putting in an ice cream, right? So, I, I mean, I, I like this good old-fashioned salt, salt and ice uh, thing. They, they can make a much larger quantity than those self-freezing things can, uh, and in general, they're uh, higher – higher quality product um and the other good thing about it is that if you don't want to store your ice cream you after you're done churning you pull the motor off and you just add a boat ton of salt to the outside drop a towel over it and let it cure inside of its own container you know what i mean without unpacking without agitating without going back in your freezer so you don't need to worry about freezer space while you're you know while it's curing up while you're cooking the rest of dinner a lot of advantages it doesn't keep so well uh but there's a lot of advantages now um, back to the other side. Let's let's go to the stabilization side. On the stabilization side, on it, there are a boat ton of things you can add uh, to uh, to an ice cream like this um, that that are not you know that that make it creamier. For instance, gelan. If you were to, but it's a little bit more of a pain in the butt. You could take just the milk. I wouldn't do it to the cream. I would take uh, just the milk and make uh, a gelan fluid gel with it, right? Then <clears throat> blend it and then add in your cream, blend it down with the, the vanilla. And when you freeze that sucker, it will be super dupe smooth. Uh, you can go look at my stretchy uh, my stretchy ice. I have a stretchy ice cream post on uh, on uh, that's also friable and and you can light it on fire on uh, the cooking issues blog that apparently you can still search for. Uh, yep. I, I would omit the guar, just use the gel in, and I would ignore my instructions to jack the uh, gel. I mean, you can jack the gel in a little bit, but you don't need to jack it as much as I said at the end of the uh, end of that article because I was just guessing. In fact, you don't need to jack it that much, but that makes a supremely smooth ice cream with no eggs in it, but really any sort of stabilizer is gonna is gonna help you out, like a LBG or, or so, something like this is gonna is gonna stabilize a carrageenan. Like adding some carrageenan to it will, uh, like uh, I would probably, I think most people use iota in small amounts for this is gonna help really smooth it out for you, which is what you want. You don't want to add so much of any of those things that it gets gummy though, right? That's the that's the the, the kind of a, the downside of it. Another thing is you don't want eggs because you just don't like the flavor of cooked eggs, or you just don't want don't the know. eggs. I, I don't know what it is, but anytime I add any number of eggs, it just changes the flavor. And I don't know what it is. Right? Do you want a circ- like Do you want a circulator? Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, here's a little trick Sam Mason. Sam Mason didn't used to like his ice creams to taste eggy, but he loved the texture that he got from eggs. And so what he would do is he would put the egg yolks in uh, in a bag and uh, pasteurize them uh, at a low temperature. Like uh, you could do it at 60, right, uh, uh, Celsius, 140 Fahrenheit uh, for just long enough to pasteurize out the egg yolks, which is not that long really. Uh, and then uh, And then stir those in. And then that actually – it's easy then to chill those eggs and then you can stir those into your mix and you're not going to get the, the – you know, blend them in and you're not going to get that uh, cooked egg – that egginess that you get from the eggs. And that's what he used to do and uh, ain't nobody ever argued with Sam Mason's ice cream. Interesting. 
Yeah. I will have to try that. Yeah. So there's a battery okay. of things you can you can try. Let us know how it works. Cool. Thank you very much. No, thank you. All right. Now, uh, wait. So we were talking about Seth, who owns a restaurant in Teaneck, New Jersey. You ever been to Teaneck Styles? Mm-mm. I used to live right next to Teaneck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Teaneck. Uh, a steakhouse. Um, we are attempting to introduce modernist techniques into our kitchen. Some of our ideas have been successful and others not so much. Our biggest hurdle is that we are a kosher establishment, which precludes us from using many ingredients. Most recently, we purchased Activa TI, which does not have sodium casenate. So Activa TI, by the way, for those of you that you know, aren't hip to this, Activa is, uh, is the brand name of transglutaminase, a.k.a. meat glue, that we use to uh, you know, bond different uh, proteins, usually meats, Together now, um, the, it's an enzyme, naturally occurring enzyme. It's not some sort of horrific monster thing, and you know I can get into lots of discussions about how awesome it is and how it's been maligned by specifically a, a couple of uh, fake news outlets in Australia. But I don't have time. So uh, what's added to the enzyme is some bulking agent and also a helper protein. Now the the most commonly used helper protein is casein. It's, obviously, it's not kosher because it's derived from milk and you're gluing meat with milk. Clearly not kosher. Uh, so that's the problem that we're uh, dealing with. Okay. Activa TI, which is uh, the one that they're getting, is uh, pure. In other words, it doesn't have any uh, helper protein in it. Okay. There we go. Um, Recently, we purchased Activa TI, which does not have the sodium casenate component, and therefore the binding does not have the binding strength. The binding strength is much reduced. I did find a product online called Covamax. Covamax. Does that sound good? Mm-hmm. Sounds like a car website mm-hmm. or a wine website for Cava. Anyway, uh, Kava Max, which they claim is a sodium casinate substitute. As I understand it, sodium casinate is an emulsifier, uh, which is what Kava Max is as well. Uh, my question is, can I use Kava Max instead of the sodium casinate to add to Activa and get the desired result of being able to glue our meat together? Additionally, how would I introduce the Kava Max into the mix? If this idea is not going to work, is there some other idea that you could point me to? I hope this email finds you well. Uh, thank you, Seth. Yes, it finds us well. Uh, look, if it's meant to replace an emulsifier, then I would not use it as a, a replacement. Uh, what I would do is get kosher gelatin uh, and just mix the kosher gelatin in with the Activa because it's going to provide a different kind but a very fast bond strength. So Activa GS, uh, which is not kosher because I don't use kosher gelatin, Activa GS is, um, is uh, the greatest strength or is it GB? GB, uh, one of those two. Anyway, both of those actually have gelatin in them. One of them also has phosphates to keep it uh, stable at at temperature. But if you mix uh, gelatin in, you should be fine. So what I would do, um, I don't know if you have to pre-functionalize the gelatin into like a a slurry and then paint it and then sprinkle the meat glue on or whether it will work just straight sprinkled. But try it both ways. But I would do gelatin. That's what I would do. Uh, Ethan Kushner writes in about uh, reverse agar, uh, or reverse uh, alginate, I guess, and uh, lentils. Uh, a big hello to the folks at Cooking Issues. Called in late last week, but you were tasting ants at the time, so we're on old questions, huh? Yeah. Uh, I'm headed into New York right now, so I thought I'd email in. Just thought you guys might want to post uh, the questions uh, on the Heritage Radio page or somewhere else very obvious. What do you think, Jack? Should we post the questions email on, the, on, our, on our page? Uh, it's there on the About Us. We have a new website coming, too. So so make it prominent? Make prominent. it a little more clear. Okay. Yeah. My brother is planning on getting engaged in the next couple of weeks. We probably missed it. Chumps. Uh, and wants to do a sick meal for a special lady friend before popping the question. Apparently, she loves bubble tea, which I know traditionally uses tapioca starch balls. Tapioca starch balls. What? Stas said something. I must have said something that they riled her up, but I don't know what it is. Oh, that's good. There's a question. Oh. Uh, But from his description, the tea she gets in New York, it sounds like they use a reverse alginate flavor pearl, pearl in quotes. Apparently, it pops, Stas, you're going to get it. It pops and leaks peach juice. I don't like the balls. But what about the, what about leaks peach juice? I don't like anything about them. No. Like, what about the idea of something leaking? Not good. Not good? Leaking? Okay. This sounds like a bit much uh, out of some random eatery, but maybe they buy them pre-made. Either way, how would I make this? I've looked at Chef Steps and thought about using uh, their recipe for reverse uh, spherification. Any tips on this? When using fruit juices, do I have to manage the pH? What's the deal with SHMP, a.k.a. shimp? Uh, I know this is a loaded question. Any tips on macaroons? Well, listen – Oh, my God. I forgot to uh, – her website just went out of my head. There's a website you need to read on macaroons. I'll try to remember, and if I can't remember, 
I'll get it uh, next week. Um, okay. I've also been trying to make traditionally coagulated lentil tofu. I soaked the lentils for two days, blenderized it, boiled it for a couple minutes, strained it, heated it to 160 Fahrenheit, and added one te- uh, tablespoon of Epsom salts. Far, uh, far, so far, just giant pots of goo. Any thoughts? Um, and by the way, Ethan also thanks us on our randomness. And, and thanks, Eunastasia, for your ambivalence. Adds great balance to the show, he mm, says. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's hit these questions one by one. On the reverse verification, sodium hexametaphosphate, a.k.a. – by the way, here's how reverse verification works. Normally, when you're spherifying, uh, using alginate to spherify stuff, you put uh, your flavor into – you add alginate, alginate, you know, sodium alginate, which is a hydrocolloid, to your flavor. You drop that flavor into a calcium bath. Uh, calcium lactate gluconate is the least flavorful, but calcium lactate is the easiest and cheapest to get, but it tastes terrible, so you have to rinse it off. Okay, so you drop it in, and instantly uh, the uh, alginate um, uh, crosslinks, and you get this uh, you get this firm shell around your liquid, and then you pull it out, you rinse off the calcium, and you serve these little uh, pearls. Problem: one, two, several problems. One, uh, you can't use a, um, a fluid to do this. It's very low in pH. The reason is is that uh, it'll pre-gel and ruin the alginate. Like acidic things ruin the alginate. So that's one thing. That's why that's one of the problems you have. Another problem is that the reaction keeps happening and you keep on gelling all the way through and eventually you get solid balls and they're gross because they have no flavor and alginate's a flavor thief and also has very bad texture. Okay, so that's two problems. So solution, solution one of the solutions to this problem is to use what's called reverse verification. In reverse verification, what you do is you make a neutral, usually, alginate bath. You can make an alginate bath that has flavor, but usually it's a neutral alginate bath. And then you drop calcium-laden uh, pro, you know, juices into it and you get a membrane of alginate around your flavorful products. Okay, here are the – and the good news is is that the product you're using can be as acidic as you want. I've done almost straight lemon juice. It doesn't matter because uh, you know the alginate doesn't – it's not going to hurt or pre-gel because the alginate's not contained in the flavorful stuff, so it doesn't matter. That's the good news. Uh, here's what you need to keep in mind. The sodium hexametaphosphate is a as a sequestrant. It's going to get rid of excess calcium. So what you want to do is add some sodium hexametaphosphate, aka shimp, uh, to your alginate bath to preserve it so that it doesn't go bad while you're repeatedly dropping uh, calcium stuff. Uh, I mean, when you're dropping calcium stuff into it, and also in case there's free calcium ions in your uh, tap water, right? So that's what the sodium hexametaphosphate is for. Uh, you're going to want to make sure that the alginate bath that you use is as thin as you can make it and still get good um, and still get good uh, film around the outside and this is why you want to use a very strong alginate uh, because because uh, a strong alginate is going to get a, a, a greater kind of bond strength even when it's a little bit thinned out the reason is is that you need to drop your liquid into it and it needs to drop into it so if you have a very thick alginate it's just going to pancake on top and you're not going to get a, a decent uh, reverse uh, spherification now you can get around that by injecting it into the thing but that's, it's all a pain in the butt what you want is to be able to make a nice good drop unless you're doing larger spoon in which case another way to do it if you're making larger pearls like larger tapioca pearls is you can literally freeze balls of flavor with calcium then they can be any thickness you want because it doesn't matter and then you can kind of throw them into the alginate and then pull them out and then uh rinse them off anyways so another thing you want to make sure is that you get all the air out of the alginate bath otherwise there'll be air on the top and again you'll just get stuff pancaking when it hits the uh air thing and plus there'll be bubbles and it'll be a nightmare get rid of the air um Another thing is if you're going to drop liquid uh, and you're not going to pre-freeze it, you should thicken the juice. I, you know, you usually use something like something like a xanthan or something there to keep it together and to thicken it so that it can drop in. Uh, it helps if you densify it, if it weighs more than your alginate bath. So things like sugar can help uh, there. So you don't want it floating on top. You want it to sink to the bottom. So it should be denser than uh, the alginate bath and slightly uh, thick so that it holds together when you when you drop it and you can get nice big uh, balls if you're dropping liquid. Nice big balls. Uh, the other thing is you want to make sure you get all the air out of that because no matter how dense it is if it's full of air that'll float it and it'll float and pancake and be a nightmare um 
frozen is usually the way to go. But then uh, the other thing is is that you can't have them touching each other or they'll join together at the bottom. So usually what I'll do is I'll, I'll drop a bunch. They'll float to the bottom. Uh, they'll rest on the bottom. Then you'll immediately dump the entire uh, bath of alginate in, into something else through a strainer and then flood it with water uh, to separate the balls. And then I put it on calcium to set any residual alginate on the outside. That's how I do it. Yeah. On the lentil tofu, a couple things you could do. I've never made uh, actual tofu from lentils. Uh, You can – I don't know whether you're going to be able to get a firm set. A couple things you can do. You can add uh, meat glue actually uh, and I wasn't able to – I didn't have time to look up on any websites, uh, people that do this. But you can add um, Activa and that will bolster any protein-to-protein interactions and give you a harder set, right? So that's one. Two, you could dope it with soy. So it's a soy lentil uh, tofu situation and that's going to help out. Or three, uh, there are Burmese tofu, right? You can look up. Isn't really tofu. It's really just kind of cooked uh, like they, the people who do it say it's closer to like a polenta so you cook it down and then uh, let it set but it sets almost like a tofu but it's more of a kind of a starch reaction the way that like a uh, polenta is so you could make like a Burmese style tofu or you could cheat by adding agar which is what a lot of people do with their quote unquote tofus that aren't real tofu but I think you were trying to do traditional tofu in which case I would either bolster it with some soy or I would uh, I would hit it with some activa and see if that helps but uh, check out the Burmese tofu because People who can't have uh, the regular soy seem to enjoy the Burmese tofu. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that's about it. What? What? Okay, okay uh, tell the questions c- you're going to get to next. Can I, can I do, I'll do some real quick ones. Kobe, uh, uh, all right. Well, Kobe wrote in about a Burnsomatic torch. So he's been listening to the show for a couple of months now, uh, and he enjoys the Vegetti dialogues. He would like to order Searsol, but the propane tank does not ship to where uh, he lives. He's not sure whether he uh, could order a, a compatible Burnsomatic torch for where he lives. Can, can we talk about one that sources locally? I can't. Here's the problem. I can't recommend any torches that I haven't used uh, because – like I can't recommend it. I, can't, I don't know that they're safe. I mean, like I would just look and see whether or not um, I would look and see whether or not it's possible to find uh, a torch that looks and kind of functions like us. We're eventually going to look in. Eventually, we're going to look into. Maybe we'll look into making our own torch, right, Stas? Yeah. But it's gonna it's gonna be a while. The other other question he had was on uh, using saltpeter instead of Instacure or Prague powder. I'll try to find a source in Israel for curing salts because I would not use saltpeter. Do not use saltpeter as a substitute. And then. We are going to get next week to questions. We made it through and we're getting closer, right? We have a question about using, making noodles with agar agar and the flavor of tequila sunrise. We have a question on making uh, your own anti-griddle uh, and uh, modifying pressure cookers. We have an urgent question, which I might uh, talk on Twitter or someone can you know, send me a Twitter question. Chris had on mint and mint. He needs this uh, now. So please, and on Turkish coffee, which we'll talk about next week. Quinine and root beer all next week on Cooking Issues. For listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 